0: i can't be there tomorrow
1: welcome to the Bearly saved podcast where we have the discussions real christians don't have here's your hosts i'm caleb i'm black cherry soda i'm mike
2: we're all hosts here, Dan. Say what? I thought I was a guest. We're all hosts here. No, we don't. We don't do guests. Maybe. I don't know. We're we're playing around with the format. Me and Rebecca recorded the animal story yesterday. I
3: don't know why, but when you when you were like, "Well, Dan, you, like we're all hosts here," I don't know why, but the first thing that came to my mind was a nickname this girl from college gave me, which was DDTCM. It was Dan Dan the Christian Man, and I don't know why, <laughs> but I thought. She was not a Christian at that time. We met like first week of college, and she was like, "You're so Christian. I'm gonna call you DDTCM, Dan Dan the Christian Man."
2: I mean, that's fair. I like it. So that so
3: if I need to introduce myself, that's a, that's how I'm introducing myself as a host today. It's Dan Dan the Christian Man.
2: <laughs> this was at the same time in your life when you needed somebody else to cuss people out for you, right?
3: That was in high school, where my friend. Oh, Camille. Camille was like, you know, what she said was that she was like, no, no, see, you don't understand. Dan does not cuss, but I will cuss for him. So let me tell you what I know Dan wants to say, but won't say because he is way more saved than I am. And she proceeded to cuss somebody out in the hallway in the middle of our high school. It was beautiful and amazing.
4: That's real friendship right
3: there. Yeah, I mean, it is. I I mean, we had known each other since like preschool. So we were like three, four years old and we had known each other the whole time. Now we're in high school and she's just like dan doesn't cuss but i will cuss for him and she proceeded to do so okay so that was
2: I, I didn't remember whether that was high school or college but like that was high school she's now a medical doctor who treats her children
3: so she's a great pediatrician for what i'm saying in tennessee now so
2: so DDTCM does make sense knowing that that's how you've been forever thanks renee all right so last week we talked about baptism uh we we said that pedo baptism is fine and good it has scriptural basis What's pedo baptism? Should I just listen to the episode?
1: That's against the Bible.
2: Matt, you, you literally said that you can make a biblical case for it. And then we also said that baptizing people later is also fine.
3: Yeah, both are fine. Pado-Baptists aren't against people being credo-Baptists. It's usually the credo-Baptists who are like, you can't baptize babies. I'm sorry. I just say go read Genesis and look at the covenant of circumcision. That's for you, your children, and for those who come after.
1: Oh, same language of baptism as in Acts 2. Well, Dan, we're in the new covenant, so we don't have to listen to that one anymore. Come on. You know that we don't preach anything before. Matthew that's not true first
2: off Caleb it absolutely tides. is for tides,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I since fire there you go I'm like so that's how that works okay ruler.
2: we recorded animal story yesterday we'll put that in here
0: Yeah, so I I saw this and it, and I like laughed at it. I laughed at this headline which then I felt bad um that I laughed because it just it seemed like something that it should be satire and then it wasn't. <laughs> so dog shoots and kills his owner 32 in a freak hunting accident, Kansas authorities say. And I like fully like laughed out loud and then felt really bad because you know that's not something that we should laugh at. Um
2: Okay. Rebecca, what? You you haven't listened to last week's podcast?
0: No, I haven't. But
2: last week I was clickbaited.
0: Oh no. At the
2: bottom of a newsweek article that a bear dug up and ate a corpse of a woman in Malaysia. A man went to his wife's grave a couple of weeks after she was buried and found it dug up and his wife partially eaten by a bear.
0: But you said you were clickbaited?
2: I was clickbaited because I saw the headline. Oh. We were on an article about a drunk bear raiding a convenience store. Much funnier.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, this is... I don't know if this is better. Because at least in that article, the woman was already dead. And in this instance, the animal actually killed his owner.
2: Yeah, the victim was reportedly sitting in the front passenger seat of his pickup truck when his dog stepped on a rifle in the back seat.
0: I, I do, like not that. okay why was the rifle not more secure like this is one of those things of like common sense gun care that i mean i grew up with as somebody who grew up with hunters and with hunting and guns all around and like i don't understand
2: yeah like why why was the safety not on why was there a loaded gun in the back seat of your
0: truck? Why would you have it with your dog? Yeah, like.
2: There's a million questions here.
0: How How was it angled that it ended up. I mean, the dog could have, like, bumped
2: moved it. it though, yeah, right? that's true. Like, the angle, whatever. It doesn't matter what the angle was. The dog's in the back seat. Like, the angle can move.
0: That's true. It's just. I- <sighs> But
2: the bullet struck the man. He called 911. Oh, wow. He, oh, wow. He called 911? I missed that. As far as I can tell, I don't see anybody else listed here. Who else would have called 911?
0: Well, within minutes of the 911, I mean, was there anybody else in the car with him?
2: Not, nah, just as far as I can tell, it's just him and a, a dog.
0: Okay, wait, but the guy's name was Joseph Smith? Yes. That's not an uncommon name. <laughs> no, I just, I'm just sorry. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> It was just, I just, yeah. The stock of the gun was in the back seat and the barrel was lying on the console facing the victim. Stepped on the trigger from the back seat, struck Smith in the back.
2: Yeah. I'll know it It's a very sad story. It
0: is. I I feel bad. Um, this is
2: supposed to be the lighthearted, mildly humorous. Okay, part, I have the start I have a better one.
0: I have a better one that was a human. It was a it was a related that a, a hunter was is recovering after shooting himself while fighting off a grizzly bear in Wyoming. So I think uh, I think all parties are alive.
2: All right. Well, hopefully, yeah. Let's. Yeah, that was just that was just sad. Let's just scrap that whole animal story. I'm going to cut it and I'm going to put it at the end.
0: So this is a a guy a guy named Lee was hunting with his son and they were attacked by a grizzly bear and um I guess in the Rock Creek area um in Wyoming. And so he he pulled out his handgun and fired a bunch of rounds and I guess one of them hit himself in the lower leg. So that is less you know less of an injury that is life-threatening although painful
2: yeah but the the headline hunter recovering after shooting himself while fighting (laughs) off grizzly bear (laughs) now it's a 65 year old man so not exactly a young gun
0: Helped his father onto a horse. Wait, there's horses involved? Hold on. They did not write this story in a good way to give me a picture of how this went down in the order it went down. He was attacked while hunting with his Well, like, where did the horses come from? It didn't say they they had
2: horses with him.
0: It didn't tell them that. It doesn't say that in the beginning. It just says they helped him onto a horse. It didn't say in the beginning that there was a horse. Well,
2: yeah, but they were hunting. So you should assume they have a horse with them.
0: I do not assume that. Well, if you shoot a grizzly bear, how are you going to carry that thing out? I've never gone hunting with a horse. I'm just saying. I've gone hunting on foot and in a truck and on an ATV. I have never gone hunting on a horse. I mean,
2: the horse and the ATV are roughly equivalent in my mind.
0: I mean, I would prefer a horse person
2: let I me mean, i'd prefer i'd prefer the atv less likely to get attacked by a bear well
0: i mean okay fair but in my area i have less i i, I don't have to be concerned with grizzlies as much um so uh, apparently they helped him onto a horse and they met up with the rescuers they turned on their like sos thing um about 9:20 p.m. it doesn't say like when he like when he was attacked yeah look
2: so he got on the horse was taken back to the drainage area then he was taken on a utv back to the ranch and then flown to the hospital so really what we're finding out is that they had all of the options for what kind of recovery vehicles and they said you know what we don't know which one to use so we're going to use all of them we're going to use a horse we're going to use a utv and we're going to use a helicopter that's that's what i'm seeing
0: okay so the bear ran away they're trying to find him um, I guess this is the second grizzly bear attack in Western Wyoming this month alone. So that's not great because um, apparently two college wrestlers were also attacked in mid-October. That's unfortunate. Grizzlies are not something I would want to encounter.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I would not want to encounter a grizzly bear. Now, the question is, would you want to encounter a drunk Himalayan bear? That's I mean, the question. it
0: depends on how drunk, because I feel like it's level of like physical acuity to being able to like do anything to me would be directly correlated to how drunk it is.
2: Mm, that's fair. It ran off when the police got there. So it was awake enough to know that brown things should not stay around the police. That's true.
0: Um, I have to laugh because I did just see another headline that says Hunter rescued after being impaled by Lost Arrow while hiking in remote Colorado wilderness. (laughs) And I just, I, I have questions. See, now you're
2: looking at the clickbait at the bottom of People.
0: But at least it's People Magazine and not Newsweek.
2: First off, Newsweek isn't that bad of a place to get fun animal stories. That's true. Second off, my original news story last week I found in the original newspaper, but it didn't do a good job of explaining. And Newsweek did a better job of explaining, so. That's also fair. Now, the whole getting, the the corpse getting eaten part, entirely Newsweek. I was clickbaited. It's... It was fine. There are a lot of things with that article that I would do differently, though. Such as thing number one. Explain why the horse is there. Was the horse their right, horse? Yeah. <laughs> did they just find
0: the horse? Was the horse also attacked wh- by the grizzly bear? <laughs> like, is the did horse Did he have okay? a special
2: whistle that the horse, like the goats in Thor 11 Thunder, where he just did the whistle and the horse came?
0: I like how you went to Thor 11 Thunder. I went to Shanghai Noon and the horse where Jackie Chan's, the... Making all the noises. Yeah,
2: yeah. I just prefer the idea of the horse screaming with the guy on it that has his leg shot Bye! after being attacked by a grizzly bear. Right, like I wanted that picture. Um, I, I just, I feel like that's what I really want more details about is how exactly did the horse get there?
0: Exactly. We need to know these things.
2: Also, I feel like the... Facebook link does a better job of telling the story. Like, I mean, it's all the same info, but it's not rewritten stupidly. Ah, okay. It's the original thing that somebody at People, People Magazine. Clearly, what they did was they went, "We cannot plagiarize this," and so they just rewrote it in their own words. But they still do not explain the horse situation. No, they don't.
0: Onto a horse. That's it.
2: What's the animal story? Uh, Okay, so Rebecca, I'm going to tell you guys. Rebecca, the first one that she pulled up was that a man was shot by his dog. (laughs) <laughs> and died. Um, oh, he left oh, a no. hunting rifle what in his car, is? and the dog stepped on the rifle and shot him in the back, and he called 911 and died. That was her first story, okay? And I said, That's too sad. The guy dies, shot by his dog. No, we're not doing that one.
4: It doesn't have a lot of legs. You can't make fun of dead people.
2: So then we did. We did a a guy shot his leg while, shot his own leg while fighting off a grizzly. So that one, that one we, that's the one we did. Oh
3: dear. Okay. That's all I'm going to say is, oh dear.
2: Which one? The guy who called 911 and then died as... As they were trying to, yeah. What, what was the
4: gun that he shot us in the leg with? It was a handgun. It was, okay. I was like, I was like trying to, trying to visualize how I would put, like, fight a bear with a rifle so that it would shoot me in the leg. No, no. It was it
2: was a handgun that he shot himself in the leg
4: with. Because
2: when you're up in Alaska, you got to carry that, um. It was like Wisconsin.
1: Oh, really? Usually you're like,
2: Wait. What kind of bear was he finding in Wisconsin? brown bear. Grizzly. In Wisconsin? They're grizzly bears in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, Wyoming. It was one of those W states. Oh, okay. So that makes a big difference, Caleb, because one of those is near me. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, okay? Wisconsin, Washington, Wyoming, whatever. It's a W state. I went to bed and woke up since then, so. So, for the
1: audience, it definitely was Wyoming, because Wisconsin does not have brown bears.
2: I think so. Our podcast listeners will have just heard it, so they don't—they don't need to be informed because they will have actually heard the story. Here, can I just share this? Listen, chaos reigns.
4: Did you say chaos rant? Chaos reigns.
2: Wait, how is Rebecca here? I thought Rebecca couldn't be on Saturday.
1: Well, she doesn't have a microphone. I can tell you that much.
0: No, she doesn't. But I, but I jumped on because Nate's at Saturday morning prayer, and Isla just finished breakfast, and I'm doing dishes, and I just wanted to say hi to Dan. Hi. Where did I come in in the conversation? <laughs>
1: We're talking about Caleb being wrong.
0: What? No,
2: you're going to say that I'm wrong constantly through the whole thing. So that tells nothing. We're just about to start actually talking about uh, communion and why the Assemblies of God is wrong.
0: Or also known as why Caleb is wrong.
2: I do not hold that position, for the record.
0: Actually, I don't think I hold
2: the position that the Assemblies of God is wrong. But I think that the Assemblies of God position is insufficient.
3: I'm just going to go on the record and say memorialism is wrong. If it's just straight memorialism.
2: I think memorialism only is wrong. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if you just hold memorialism, you're wrong. Right, I think memorialism only is wrong, but memorialism also true. Because
3: memorialism would say that all other things are wrong, and therefore memorialism in and of itself is wrong.
2: Well, if you're saying that the other things is wrong, then you're wrong. Depends on what your definition
4: of is is. That's very true. What is the definition of is without using the word is? Guys,
1: I got the Bible out for this conversation. Why why would you even pull that book out? Why would why would you take that book out? It's a good paperweight, Dan. It's got it's got um, endorsements from the likes of Chuck Colson, J.I. Packer, John Piper, Paige Patterson. Okay, but why did you pull it out? That's the question. Jack Hayford. Do you know Jack Hayford endorsed this book?
3: I like Jack Haver. It doesn't mean Jack Haver's right on everything. And, and I like Packer. But still.
0: What book is that?
3: It's Grudem's Systematic Theology.
0: Oh, F. I'm not buying that.
4: You might have to. I used to have it. I should have kept it for reference.
0: You might need it for grad school. Matt can send me his. I don't want to spend money on it.
2: But you can
4: get it on the secondary market. Well, even if you send it, someone will have to pay money to send it.
0: I'll get it off a of half half price books. <laughs>
4: You actually probably could get it at half Books.
0: I said that you should
2: get it at the Secondary Market.
1: Well, she wasn't listening to you, Caleb. Here we go. Are you ready for this? I want you to hear it straight from Gruden's mouth. The Lord Jesus. Oh, dear. Instituted two ordinances. Matt, you ordinances. can't pull that off. I could, but I'm not I'm not stopping to.
0: No, that was not well done. No,
2: no, it wasn't well done, but he can. Let's try it again. Do
1: it better, Matt. Two ordinances or sacraments to be observed <laughs> by the church. The previous chapter discussed baptism, an ordinance that is only observed once by each person, as a sign of the beginning of his or her Christian life. This chapter discusses the Lord's Supper. Interesting choice of words. An ordinance that is to be observed repeatedly throughout our Christian lives as a sign of continuing in fellowship with Christ. It's
2: a it's
1: a nice little story there. Okay.
2: Uh, Dan, was any of that wrong?
1: I didn't hear anything wrong. I mean, we'll we'll get to the wrong stuff later, I'm sure.
2: We're hearing that Grudem was not wrong in the two sentences Matt read.
1: No, no, in the introduction, he's usually not wrong. It's later on. <laughs> I just love his sac- I just love his sacraments or ordinances. It's like, wait, wait. No, no, no. They're the same thing, Dan. huh Oh, I mean, I guess you can say that that's wrong. Yeah, I mean that, but Sounds like the same thing to me.
2: I mean, he did order both of those things and their sacraments, so... But
3: they're not ordinances in that case, based on the theological definition of
1: ordinances. So, how is Christ present in the Lord's Supper? Well, there's only three options, as we know. The Roman Catholic view, which is transubstantiation. The Lutheran view, which is in, with, and under. I like how we use transubstantiation in one section, but we don't use consubstantiation in the other one. But That's not important right now. And then the th- the third view... Is the rest of Protestantism a symbolic and spiritual presence of Christ? Right, a
2: symbolic and spiritual. That's what, it's, that's what Grudem tells me. Symbolic and spiritual is not the same. That doesn't make sense, right? And he quotes Calvin and says,
1: "By the showing of the symbol, the thing itself is also shown."
0: Why can something not be spiritual and symbolic at the same time? <laughs>
1: We'll get there. For unless a man means to call him, call God a deceiver, he would never dare assert that an empty symbol is set before him. And the godly ought to, by all means, keep this rule whenever they see symbols appointed by the Lord to think and be persuaded that the truth of the same signified is surely present there. For why would the Lord put in your hand the symbol of his body except to assure you of a true participation in
3: it? So wait, so, so now Calvin actually summarizes the entirety of all, like, Protestant thought?
2: Yes, Yes, 500 years of Protestant thought right there. I don't understand the problem.
4: Boom. Done. Did you not know that Johnny C was the mouthpiece for all the Protestants? I had no clue.
1: Which is why, of course, all the Baptists, all the Anabaptists who uh, fancy themselves Reformed are Credo Baptists. Yeah, because he spoke for all of them. Right. Calvin, one voice.
2: On the whole Calvinist thing, one of my favorite things is, you know, when I meet somebody who's like, says that they're a Calvinist, and then I say, so you're a paedo-baptist, right? And, and then they're like, well, well, no. And it's like, well, that was like a really big, important thing. Like, if you go read institutes, that's like a huge chunk of it is why Pado baptism is the right thing, which I found convincing. Not only that,
3: but um, when you stop and think about it, if you're going to go to Calvin, let's everybody start praying the Hail Mary, too.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. All right, I'm actually picking up the real Bible now.
2: (laughs) As we know, based on the AG Bible. No, that's not the AG Bible. You know that the AG has a better systematic theology book.
1: (laughs) That one might actually
2: be required reading at AGTS. (laughs)
1: Which one?
2: What, the, the AG Systematic Theology book? 100% guarantee you will be. Some of those chapters are well written.
1: Is it literally called the AG Systematic Theology book? No, it's just called Systematic Theology. But it's a bunch of articles written. By who? That doesn't
0: sound like a very systematic compilation
2: of... <laughs> no, it is. It's a systematic theology.
1: No, it's a systematic theology of the fundamental
3: truths of the Assemblies of God. Let's just be up front.
2: Correct. That's all it
3: is. It's the fundamental truths argued.
2: I'm like, uh, okay. Some of the sections aren't bad.
3: But the entirety of all systematic theology in the assumes of God are condensed into the 16 fundamental truths, so you have all the theology you need right
1: there.
0: You know, that's really why we'll never actually completely redo the 16 fundamentals, because then we'd have to rewrite all of the different textbooks that are only based on those 16.
1: That's right. Here we go. Ready? This is uh, in Bible doctrines, a Pentecostal perspective. When Jesus said, this is my body, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood, he meant that the bread and wine represented his body, given in death, and his blood poured out as a sacrifice on the cross. Well, it depends on what the definition of E is, e is. That's- Literally, that is the exact wording of this book. And there is a footnote. Would you like to hear what the footnote is to, to provide justification for that? What is it? What is it? Roman Catholics teach transubstantiation, the belief that the bread and wine by a miracle become the actual body and blood of Jesus, giving only the appearance of bread and wine, so they adore the bread and wine. Lutherans and many Anglicans, parentheses Episcopalians, Teach consubstantiation, the belief that Jesus is actually present in a substantial way with the bread and wine. However, this is my body and in my blood are metaphors. Jesus was present with the disciples when he said this to the bread and the wine. See also 1 Corinthians 5, 8, where Paul speaks of the bread of sincerity and truth.
3: Training timeout, training timeout, training timeout. Anglicans do not believe in consubstantiation. That has not been taught in the history of the Anglican tradition. We believe in the real presence of Christ, which means that where Jesus says, this is my body. It is Christ's body. Where it is his blood, it is Christ's blood. That does not mean that it is physically his body or physically his blood because, oh, wait a minute, we believe in this, you know, third person of the holy trinity called the holy
1: spirit and god forbid that we believe in spiritual things so what you would say dan is that you believe not that the bread and the wine become body in a a miraculous like they actually are the the body and blood of jesus you just say that like because there's a spiritual nature they symbolize it right no (laughs) means. (laughs) which is what wayne
2: grudem said well then Grudem is wrong. Grudem is wrong.
3: It it is Christ's body. It is Christ's blood. I mean even Paul goes so far as to say like, is not this a participation in the body of Christ? Is not the cup we blessed a participant, not a participation in the blood of Christ? I'm sorry, but here's the thing: if it's not really Christ's body and it's not really Christ's blood, why are people dropping dead? And then why don't why do why do all these especially memorialists like let's go to the Baptists and Pentecostals for a moment? If it's not really Christ's body and blood, then unbelievers drink and eat up and have snack time with Jesus because there's <laughs> nothing that's gonna happen to you, because you know know. what it doesn't really matter because it's just bread and wine and there's nothing really special about this i will tell you best scenario i heard i will not name the church i will not name the church lord help me not name the church but i was in springfield missouri
2: (laughs) oh i can name the church
3: (laughs) and literally this minister he looks at me and i'm sitting on the front row and he goes this is just a piece of bread and he glares over at me (laughs) And this is just a cup of grape juice. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's the problem. You got grape juice, not wine like Jesus did, but that's a whole other issue. And there is nothing special about this bread or this juice. And he rants about that for a moment as he glares at me. And after he does this whole thing, he continues and says, but if you're not a believer, I wouldn't eat and drink this for you because you know what? You just might die. I want to
1: get to that part in a little bit.
3: And at this point, I'm sitting on the front row and I literally on from the front row turn around and start looking in the congregation because I'm like, in my head, I'm like, did anybody else hear what this fool just say it? It's meaningless, but you might die from it. It can't be both. Why is it that so many memorialists have this whole philosophy and theology of communion is powerful enough to kill, but not powerful enough to heal? And somehow, all of a sudden, the people who believe in healing, who believe, the, I mean, think about it. Pentecostal people lay hands on chairs, lay hands on chairs to impart the power of the Holy Spirit, like prayer claws and handkerchiefs, all this stuff. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere. But not when we actually ask the Holy Spirit to transform these elements of bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus. That can't be. So the Holy Spirit can do all things. God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. But he can't do this.
2: I'm glad you finally have a proper understanding, Dan. So thank you. Um- <laughs>
4: do people really say that yeah. the bread and the grape juice kill people?
1: Is this a thing? I mean, at least it happened once. Second, Dan, you don't understand. The Lord's Supper is like a gun. It can kill you, but it can't heal you. It's like it's like a 44 Magnum, right? I'm just I'm holding the bread and wine. It's a deadly weapon.
0: And if your dog steps on the trigger, you're SOL.
1: <laughs> okay. So I would like
2: to if I may
1: make an argument about this whole uh unworthy. We haven't even
2: talked about like should you be baptized to take communion? Yes. Oh,
1: damn. No, it doesn't matter
2: yes it does
1: no it doesn't
2: it matters it only matters if
1: you say it matters
3: I said it. Therefore, it matters.
1: Friggin' pedo-baptists over here saying everything matters and when they're okay with some things, but not other things. Pedo-baptists are the worst.
2: Everything matters.
4: Everything is awesome. Everything matters. Then nothing matters.
2: That's not how it works. Or as
4: Metallica once put it, nothing else matters. This everything
2: being awesome doesn't make nothing awesome.
4: I believe it's nothing really matters. Anyone can see.
1: Listen, I just don't think that we serve a God who is bound by the rituals even if he put them in place and so if someone wants to take communion and be in commune as part of the church prior to baptism I'm not I can't be opposed to that where did Dan go I don't
4: know we lost him there he is he was so mad at what I said yeah I was because here's the thing like praying for the strength not to smite you I will reach you this camera and snatch
3: you
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're dead to me <laughs>
3: But, I mean, I think that's that's the key issue. Like, because people get upset when I give. I mean, I've actually had people get upset when I'll give, like, a one-year-old who's been baptized communion. Why? Well, they they can't have that. They, <clears throat> I literally, wait, wait, wait. I had, I had an Anglican priest actually get upset one time and tell me, you can't give that child communion. They don't know what they're taking. I was like, but Do you are you? baptized. Wait, no, but I was like, but you will baptize a child who can't even make their own confession, but you're upset because I'll give a child communion.
0: And, and, and maybe that's where the, the whole like of seeking consistency is important. I mean. And that's what I was
3: like. I, I actually like I'll baptize you and I give you communion, but I won't give you communion unless you're baptized. And he's like, he'll baptize, but he won't give communion. I'm like, what?
2: I don't, I don't understand that logic.
3: I'm sorry. You're, you're a full member of this body. You're a full member of the body of Christ. You've been baptized into the community of believers.
0: But... Can't have you can't
3: have you can't have this part of God's grace conferred to you through communion because I'm going to withhold that from you because you're not
4: knowledgeable knowledgeable enough yet. I'm like, okay, that that is so interesting because that's how that's how I grew up in the Lutheran churches. We you know baptize anyone and everyone, including if they can't make their own confession. But then you got to take a special class to do your first communion because it's I mean, Lutheranism is Catholic light. And, but anyone off the street from my particular church, this is different from every Lutheran church, but, or every Lutheran church decides it on their own, I think. Um, But anyone off the street could take communion at my church, unless you were a youngster who didn't go through like their first communion class.
2: Yeah. I mean, at my church, we do a first communion class because, you know, we, we talk about those things. But most of the kids who took the first communion class were already taking communion, which makes it not very much a first communion class. But, you know, you go through the things, you know,
3: just catechism along the way and keep going, you know,
2: right. Catechism is important. You can could, you could do a catechism class like during the interlude because we have like two services and there's an hour between. So that's when that happens. I mean, this is that's basically what this was for my confirmation is basically a Lutheran catechism for
4: youngsters
0: and try to be cool. Yeah. I mean, so like our oldest daughter uh, did communion with Nate and I for the first time at Christmas Eve service this last year. Um, uh, she was there with us. We'd been talking about it. We've been instructing, like, talking about stuff for eight years. She, you know, knew what it symbolized, what she was doing. Um, and we haven't broached the subject of baptism, frankly, because she's scared of going underwater. <laughs> So we have a longer time lot that's going to be a longer time
2: pour the water go, go into the baptismal fountain get a cup of water and pour it over her head
4: you just even simpler just do the
0: i know that there are other options
1: Rebecca once again sometimes when we say things we're not talking to you we're talking to the audience
0: i know but you are actually no, you addressing don't, it cuz yes, you don't t- act
1: like it right
0: but i'm talking about my kid <laughs> so i'm going to respond <laughs> but you know yes we could do it other ways but that's something that like she wants to do eventually it's just gonna probably take a while so i do think it's weird to say that if somebody is baptized and they can't do communion um because i don't think we would do that well i guess the catholic church does that if you're like have certain sins that you haven't confessed yet then you shouldn't do communion which is what we should talk about next
2: I I think that's 100%. If you haven't confessed your sins, you shouldn't take communion, so. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. Read the Didache.
1: Not scripture and you know it.
0: I mean, Dan and I can disagree. It's like, we didn't baptize. We did dedications, which I get And I know you guys talked about that last week without me, and that's fine. But um, like they haven't been baptized, and communion is something that we like. We're just waiting and kind of talking through with her for a long time, um, and we'll baptize eventually when they're comfortable with the water piece and we're and confident of that. But, but like that consistency is important. And so Dan, to your point of like Anglican priests that have them baptized, and if that is the baptism that like is the baptism, then communion shouldn't be um, withheld. So that inconsistency is strange to me. Like. Let's be consistent in our practice.
3: But you know what's really funny when I think about it? Like growing up Pentecostal, I was not allowed to take communion until after I was baptized.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And,
3: I mean, it, it never dawned on me until after I was an adult, like, especially as an Anglican, I was like, wait, I wasn't actually allowed in my Pentecostal church to take communion until after I was baptized. And it was, it was like, nope, I just passed it along the way. And then I remember the first time there was communion at my church after I was baptized, it was like, go ahead, you can. And this wasn't like a church rule. It was actually just like in my family. That's what we did. That's
0: what you did. Oh, okay. And I haven't like talked with our new lead pastors at all about it. Of like, I, I didn't like ask permission of like, can she have communion? She doesn't like that was it was just mine and Nate's decision together with her.
2: Um, I mean, at my church, we don't like the parents. The parents are the ones that decide whether or not their kids can have communion, right? Like, they walk up to the front with them. If they're not going to have communion, they have their kids cross their arms and they get a blessing.
4: Yeah, that's what we did growing up. Well, no,
3: I'll tell you what was really funny. I had a conversation with somebody one time. Who, you know, I was just talking to the dad. We were having coffee. And, well, of course, I wasn't having coffee. He was having coffee. I was having tea since I still don't drink coffee. Anyway, I hate having to explain that. People like, wait, you drink coffee now? No, I still
4: don't drink coffee.
2: You don't drink coffee? <laughs> no, Dan has never drank coffee.
4: I tried to stop drinking coffee for two months, and I'm already back to drinking coffee. <laughs> poor, poor thing.
3: Um, <laughs> so it was weird because... He made mentions, oh, yeah, our daughter was baptized at such and such time, yada, yada, yada. Well, then I was communicating people. Um, and so I gave her like the that, that next Sunday after we had talked, you know, I wasn't thinking anything. of was, oh, she's baptized. OK, boom. So that way, because sometimes it's like, you know, some kids at church, I would know, OK, they get communion. They don't. Well, this one I was like, I didn't know because I say like, I've never communicated these people. That's interesting, you know. And she didn't cross her arms. And so I gave her the brand. And said, you know, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you. And then all of a sudden after church, the guy was like, oh, that's funny. That other priest would only give her a blessing. And at that point he walks away and I'm like, did I just communicate somebody who's not baptized? I'm so confused. Wait a minute. So I like take off, like I speak to a couple of other people and once everybody's cleared out, I'm like on the hunt throughout the church. Like I've gone to the parish hall. I've gone to, to like the education wing of the church. I'm like, where is this guy? I run into him and I'm like, wait a minute. I thought that you clearly told me the other week that your child was baptized. And he says, yeah. And I said, wait, so your child is baptized. So so you're a pedo Baptist, but you don't believe in pedo communion? And he goes, you know, my wife and I have never had a discussion about this. And then his wife is approaching. And I was like, wait, you all have talked about baptism, but not communion for your child. And they were like, I guess we need to go home and have a discussion about this, huh? I'm like just a little bit.
0: And I send them on their way.
3: But I was like, oh, wow. Like, what is this?
0: But unless I mean, unless you're like taught it especially somebody who didn't grow up in the church like it's it's not unless it's discussed more regularly like it's not something that you'd think of unless you're like super involved in ministry or the church in most protestant denominations like it's it's not like taught when to do that or or to have the discussion so
2: i just want to say matt's wrong i'm not wrong you just
0: want matt to be wrong caleb because we always say you're wrong
1: it's literally in the text all you gotta do is read the text
2: wait which which text
1: first corinthians 11 I mean, Matt Dan already said that you're wrong like you should you should baptize first, oh on that part yeah I don't care let let me let me rephrase this I don't disagree that you should baptize first, okay mm-hmm. but I'm also not to the point I'm going to deny communion to someone who isn't baptized like I think I can hold those two in tension i'm I'm more i I am more ecumenically and soteriologically in favor of an the more open our communion is, the better now. If we were going to get shot for having communion, my story might change a little bit. My social dynamics indicate how I act in accordance with the text. But then I'm
3: not... (laughs) So it sounds like you're trying to develop a theology of convenience, Matt, as opposed to a standard practice.
0: Oh, shut up, Dan. I mean, (laughs) is that a bad thing? Uh,
3: uh. That's a bad thing. I'm gonna say that's a bad thing.
0: Is it a theology of convenience or a theology of wisdom?
1: No, that's convenience. That's convenience. I don't think it's convenience. That's. I mean, I I
4: I understand the phrase, but I I would I would not
0: it makes use you that. Feel
4: better, Matt. I I'm I lean toward towards your side. But see, that that has a whole new meaning of eating and
3: drinking damnation upon yourself, or more reason for why you should withhold. No, let me tell you something. One thing I don't I think appreciate. that's what that means, Daniel. I don't care if you think that's what it means. I'm just saying. I think that that brings a whole new meaning to Before it. Before
0: I knew, well, yeah, it does any different. I took communion at a catholic mass because i didn't know that i wasn't supposed to and i did not fall down dead
4: have fun burning in hell thank god for his grace oh my gosh yet you didn't die yet
0: everybody dies matt i didn't die as a direct uh causation of taking communion
2: you don't know that oh my gosh what if that communion had a carcinogen in it and now it's in your body laying dormant for six decades and then it could be directly from that communion everyone who gets
1: taken up in the rapture is not gonna die
3: there is no rapture everyone who wait wait you just say everyone who's taken in the rapture is not gonna die i'm like i think that's just
1: the opposite because if you're taken sucks to be you it's the vacuum of jesus
0: isn't it isn't it like a beam me up scotty kind of thing
1: I thought it was beaming up Jesus. Okay, so I want to talk about this uh, unworthily section mm-hmm. because it says, verse 19, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper you eat? For when you were eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have home seed and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly I cannot. Then he tells them what to do. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. You ought to examine yourself before you eat the cup. Those who eat and drink without discerning uh, the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why you're all sick. Uh, if we're more discerning with regard to ourselves, we should not come under judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged by this world, blah, blah. So then there's our sandwich of, uh, hermeneutics. So then my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, you may not result in judgment. So the entirety of this unworthy manner section is not about your personal relationship with Jesus, but it is about how you eat the meal with regards to the body right dan are you saying you never heard that preached any other way in a pentecostal service like someone saying that you might
3: oh i've heard it preached that way but you keep arguing with me saying that's not what it means and i'm like i've never said what it means but you're still arguing with me that's not what it means and that's what i'm like what are you talking about
2: i mean he did a whole thing last week telling me that i was wrong about baptism and he fully agreed with everything i said about baptism so
1: because i couldn't actually disagree with you because emily was there (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, don't
1: do that. What do you mean, don't do that? Don't
0: don't put that on, Emily. You did your own thing.
1: No, because no, normally I would have been the one arguing.
0: Oh, okay.
2: I didn't get to make any sort of an argument because it was, we were in explainer mode most of the time. Right. We could not argue. I could not
1: come on and argue credo baptism, like, forcefully against Caleb, because Emily was there arguing for credo baptism in at least... Uh, minority position. So I couldn't argue with Caleb the way I thought I was going to get to because I was like, "Well, I can't do that now that Emily is here. I can't I can't like have that level of intensity with Emily." So I just had to shift gears. It wasn't bad. I think it was a great podcast.
2: That was a great podcast, but he couldn't he couldn't tell me I was wrong because we we were in explainer mode the whole time and never got into the you're wrong mode. But now we
1: can get into the you're wrong. That's right. I think that you are correct that you never said that. But I think that there are always overtones of unworthiness being like, again, if the bapt- let's say that baptism is required, like, let me just give you that piece, right? Some would say that this unworthiness is if you are not baptized, you are unworthy, as Paul puts it, and I don't think that that is an accurate representation of Paul's language,
3: but nobody's saying that that's the unworthy piece, at least
1: not from my position. I think that you are not making that argument, and that's true,
2: yeah, but I also am not making that argument. That's not even the Anglican argument the the, the issue
3: of the issue of not being baptized has nothing to do with the unworthiness piece because the unworthiness piece only applies to people who are part of the body. Right. And to say that and to say that you are not baptized would mean that you are not considered as you have not been baptized into Christ. You have not been baptized to be a community member of the church. Therefore, that doesn't even apply to you. <laughs> That's the whole thing. So, so let me give you a prime example. I, I read this a couple of times throughout the year, normally during the first Sunday of Advent, at least, and then moving into Lent. It's the exhortation for like for the Anglican Church it says, dearly beloved in the Lord. If you intend to come to the Holy Communion of the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, you must consider how St. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, exhorts us all diligently to examine ourselves before we presume to eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For as the benefit is great if we receive that Holy Sacrament with a truly penitent heart and lively faith, spiritually eating the flesh of Christ and drinking his blood, so that we might be made one with Christ and he with us. So also is the danger, great if we receive these gifts unworthily. For then we become guilty of profaning the body and blood of Christ our Savior, and we eat and drink to our own condemnation. Therefore, judge yourselves lest you be judged by the Lord. First, examine your life by the rule of God's commandments. Wherever you have offended, either by thought, word, or deed, confess your sins to Almighty God, and with the full intention to amend your life. Be ready to make restitution for all injuries and wrongs you have done to others and be ready to forgive others who have offended you. For otherwise, if you unworthily receive Holy Communion, you will increase your own condemnation. Therefore, repent of your sins and or else do not come to God's holy table. And I mean, there's more to it, but I think that that summarizes it well. That paragraph actually is talking about your interaction with other people.
1: Yeah. And, but I, I think <clears throat> Paul is being more specific than simply your interaction with the body. I think he's very specifically talking about what's going on in communion. Now, that being said, I think it is an unspoken thing.
3: But how can you, how can you actually?
1: I'm going to get there, Dan. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm saying it's an unspoken thing that you're as, Again, you got, we have to we have to not think about our communion services as it were and go back to what does a communion service or a, the Lord's Supper look like for Corinth, right? It's after right. the it's after the meeting. Um it's may it's you know, everyone else, all the standard up have left and the body is here, the those who have been baptized and we're not afraid to let stay for our uh, baby cannibalism feast, right? Oh my gosh, that's
2: what it is. What we thought was happening—the flesh and blood of Jesus. We're, it's cannibalism every week. We uh we talked
1: about exposure this week in New Testament survey as well. So
2: Dan, you rolled your eyes, but if Christ is really present and is really His flesh and blood, it's really cannibalism.
3: It's really His flesh and blood, but it is not physically His flesh and
4: blood. Moving on, it's symbolically and spiritually His flesh and blood
2: so it's symbolically spiritual and spiritually cannibalism got you
4: hashtag spirit cannibals <laughs> <laughs> you're not gonna let people in the back room
1: for those for for people who are not right with the rest of the body right so i mean paul's language does have that connotation but I also want to limit Paul's language to what he's talking about when it comes to how you interact with the body and the language. And Dan, I'm not saying that you are intending to convey this, but some of the language in what you read doesn't just talk about interpersonal sin, but it conveys the idea, even if unintentionally, of all sin, not just sin inside the body, but sin in general. And I don't know if that's again, I don't know if that's what Paul is talking to and about in that section. So just wipe out the rest of First Corinthians
3: <laughs> where he's talked about sin the whole time and it gets here.
1: But he's not but but here he's specifically I'm not wiping it out because obviously those are very individual uh cases. But I'm I'm saying we have to too often I've heard this section of verses used as a bludgeon
2: and <laughs> You haven't heard it that way? No, Dan's reacting to the to the sound of you mentioned a bludgeon and then we hear a smack.
1: Oh, okay. I I missed that. Too often it's been used as a bludgeon and so it's hard to uh to think of it any other way. But see, okay, I'm I'm just gonna go here because I think it's the thing. And I, I told a friend of mine this
3: a couple of months ago because she's like, "Well, Paul's just," and I was like, "No, no, stop!" And she stopped. I said, "I need you to stop for a moment. You are—you're all upset about what Paul said." I said, "But you're really not upset about what Paul said. You're upset about how people have misused and abused Paul. But you need to take Paul for Paul." I think, yes, you need to. So and so, yeah, you—you you are reacting to, like, I, I'll say it this way: you're reacting to a, a a a clobber passage in so many ways for communion. But the issue is you have to let go of your baggage of of Paul with that and you have to move forward. And so you can't
1: just read into you can't read into Paul what other people have said. Right. But you also can't ignore what other people have said when you're reading a passage from the book of common prayer.
3: But I can read that passage and I can be fine with it because the thing is this.
1: Yeah. Well yeah you can but I'm saying like <laughs> that's that's exactly what I'm saying. For other people there we we do our we do cognitive a disservice if we don't talk about this section delicately based on how it has been used in the past.
3: Oh, I don't disagree with that at all. But guess what? It's funny because when I when I read when, when I read that passage in a service, more often than not I have more people who I end up giving blessings to than communion. It's really interesting because the thing is this, why do you think okay, so if you've been to a liturgical service, you have the peace, right? Mm-hmm. Like the peace of the Lord be with and with you. And, with your, and hey, you greet one another you give them the sign of peace. I hate that or so like much. not not a kiss in these days, especially not with COVID and all that good fun stuff. But Here's the key issue the whole purpose of the piece is to give it's not like a hey this this is not like the liturgical version of the meeting greek time in church like that is not what that is
0: kind of seems like it
1: oh but it
3: is but when you actually stop and look at it, the whole purpose of the peace is that you make reconciliation before you come to the Lord's table. Think about it. Like At least within our liturgical order, like you have already confessed your sins before God.
2: You confess your sins before Almighty God. Let us greet one another with a sign of peace. Right.
3: And so now the whole issue is. You make peace with other people before you come to the Lord's table. That's the whole purpose.
1: Well, I don't disagree with you, but as you know full well, in many liturgical services, it is simply the liturgical meet and greet time. Like, if if it was practiced the way you're speaking of it, I think I might be more into it. I mean, those are the words. Once again, we come to this point where communication, <laughs> the, the one party thinks communication is happening, but it may
2: or may not be. I mean, those those are the words. Just, now that we have confessed our sins before Almighty God, let us greet one another with a sign of peace. Like, those are the words. So does that mean I go up to everyone and just... just yes, literally. Right that's what they do lo- at
1: I... our local Lutheran churches. They're just... <laughs> Yeah, peace. I hate it so much. (laughs) I would rather have a meet and greet time.
0: Would you rather just people come up and hug you, Matt?
1: Listen, uh, over this, absolutely. (laughs)
0: Like, it is...
1: I hate it so much. It's my least favorite time.
2: So the other controversial thing with communion is when should you take communion? Not like, should you be first communion, but like how often? Because me and Dan do communion every week, at least once. That's fine. You can be overachievers. And okay, Dan, th- here's a real question. If you're in multiple services in the same day, should you take communion each time? Or should it only be one? That I think is the real question. That's the real question. There's people I've seen that disagree. And there's people that have said you shouldn't celebrate with multiple services in a day. And I'm like, I don't understand.
0: Can you overdose on Jesus? Right. Yes, you can overdose, trust me.
3: Oh my gosh.
0: Only if you're using real wine.
3: Yeah, the correct way. So I know people who I know people who do this, like, if they're not the celebrant, then they'll only receive once. But like if I'm celebrating, I am obligated to receive because before I communicate others. So it's like, what do you do with that? So it's all about function. So me personally, I receive, if there are multiple services, I receive each time if I'm serving in that service. And
4: by celebrant, that's the person who just leads communion for for Anglican, right?
2: Yes. Because I'll I'll receive every time that I'm in the service because, like, otherwise you're walking up there and it's weird. Like, because we do our kids' service, you know, they leave and then they come back for communion. Right. And so if I'm in kids' church, I usually have attended one service and then I'm in kids' church the second service. And so then I'm there for communion both times. I just received both times because yeah, I don't think that's an issue.
3: Right. And I know some people would like want to scream behind hearing that, but I'm like, you know, it's just like, okay. But on one level, and I, I need to do more research on this, but I think that that is more of a Roman issue of it's a sin if you receive more than once. Okay, And I'm like, according to
2: who? I asked Bishop Steve, I was like what's 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 our policy on this like is it okay to do more than once and he's like yeah just take every time it's easier so
4: there's
1: less thinking involved
4: thinking is really hard so
2: you guys do communion
4: every sunday yeah why actually when i was in the assemblies of god i um transitioned
3: our young adult community to communion every sunday and um it was
4: interesting
1: why would you do it less than that
4: mike I have no idea. I have no strong opinions on communion, to be honest. This has been learning. I've been learning a lot. You're a weak communioner. I, I am a weak communioner. Uh, very much so. I just haven't read a whole lot about communion or listened to a whole lot of ideas. So this has been great. And I've learned that Dan is probably right. Matt's probably right. But Caleb is definitely wrong. What? <laughs> <laughs> Got him! <laughs> wow. <Caleb> what? <wanted>, it's <laughs>
3: But but here's what happened. Everybody now, and I remember now, I was in a traditional classical Pentecostal context with this. There are people who were upset that I would offer communion more than once a month because then it's no longer special and da-da-da-da-da and all this craziness. And they're like, well, you're not making it special anymore. And I said, well, maybe we should only sing songs once a month and maybe I should only preach once a month. And maybe we should only receive like offerings once a month then. Like that way they'll be special when we do them, right?
4: I say, and does and that, that like, you know, we have to save it so it's, stay special is that kind of from the idea that like it is it's a gun (laughs) is it like from that like this listen if
1: i was a bed man i would say it had a lot to do with uh the frontier nature of many churches in america
4: right i i would say that you're absolutely correct what does that mean frontier nature so uh, if you have a church In Dodge
1: City... Dodge City, Kansas. Kansas, yeah, there we go. Um, Are you going to be able to get grape juice or wine inexpensively once a month or every week? Like, are you going to be able to...
2: But also, if your, your preacher is only there once a month because he's a circuit preacher... But you gather every week and sing songs, and somebody reads the scripture. But you only have like your pastor there once a month. You only do communion once a month
3: when the pastor's there. And I think that that's really where it came from. I think it's, it's, it wasn't about resources. It, as far as like bread and wine were concerned, it was more so a case of you only had your clergy there because your clergy were out, and so they would rotate through. And so you would have communion when the clergy came. Hence the once a month thing. But when you have clergy on a consistent basis people were like, well, we've always done it once a month. So I guess we do it once a month. And it's like, no, you didn't have a priest present to actually like do
2: what they do. Well, hold on there. I'm you to calm down with that priest language. Elder, you didn't have an elder. <laughs> <laughs> tell him he's wrong, Dan,
1: cause you can't. huh? I said, tell him he's wrong. Cause you can't.
2: He can't cause priest is just a shortened form of presbyter, which is just the elder. So he could 100% tell me I'm wrong. Priest is short for a presbyter?
3: Yeah, it, it was it, in the New Testament. Since it was just a butchered form, thank you, Germans, of like a, a presbyter. No one has
4: ever
1: said thank you to the Germans.
2: So yes, the priest is just a. It's just the presbyter. It's just the elder.
4: Oh, I didn't know that. See, this is just learning. Learning day.
2: Yeah, no. With two wise men
4: and K- Caleb. Sorry, that's
2: the last joke. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I believe that that's the last
4: joke, but I'm I'm here for it. So then, does a priest, presbyter, or elder need to be the one leading in communion? (laughs) Which tradition are you in?
2: What do you mean by leading?
4: I'm asking in general. Being the one to break the bread, pass it out, and lead prayers. So, I don't think so. I would say yes.
2: They're the ones that celebrate. They're the ones that bless it and do all the things. But deacons, deacons also distribute... The bread and wine.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, in like, I'll use, I'll use a lay eucharistic minister.
4: But do deacon? But deacons do the
3: no, no.
2: Yeah, that that's the
4: question I have. What just happened? I I faked breaking bread in my hands. No, only priests.
1: Yeah, I I would feel weird about that happening in a non priestly setting. But I also don't think it's a requirement for Eucharist. So, as much as I like high church things. Low low church Matt is right here.
2: <laughs> like we just got <laughs> you know, low church filth. <laughs> it's always a priest that does it. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that I wouldn't have an issue with the deacon doing it personally.
3: Well, but the deacon can't actually consecrate anything. That's the whole reason why you have a priest.
2: Right. Well, I, I just think the deacons should be able to consecrate things. Like that's that's a weird line, but the question
1: is, Dan, do you need to consecrate it? <laughs>
2: yes well i know you
1: think that that's why you're anglican (laughs) (laughs) i'm like just me and the whole history of the church you know whatever priesthood
2: of all believers we can all do it that's not important right now
3: no oh see let me tell you something see that's one thing i I don't like people jumping to priesthood of all believers and i have said this in a sermon it's amazing how people jump like when they want to disagree with the priest oh yeah it's the priesthood of all believers the
4: scripture is clear (laughs) We're all priests, Dan. Yeah, the scripture
3: is clear. We're, the, we're, the, we're all priests. It's the priesthood of all believers, blah, blah, blah. I said, it's amazing. You want to use that as a weapon against priests. But when it comes to the responsibility of that priesthood, oh, no, you're the clergy. You're the priest, blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, nah, we need to get rid of this double standard crap.
2: To be clear. I'm not having a double standard because I also think that all of that responsibility is on everybody. So,
1: Oh, no, I'm just saying. I'm glad that that only exists in Anglicanism and doesn't happen
4: in any other traditions. No, it's never happened in Pentecostalism or anything. Protestants, right, never (laughs) happens.
1: I mean we certainly listen anyone can go visit the hospital and if the pastor doesn't visit me it's perfectly fine. Oh yeah, totally. Uh-huh. I mean,
2: okay, so Dan, a- another question. Uh for at-home communion delivery, do you require the people that deliver that to be deacons or can you have lay people do that? It's already consecrated. It's already consecrated. Right.
3: It's already consecrated. So
2: like I'm just I'm just asking. Some peop some churches say that it has to be the deacons and the priests that do that. But can it be anybody? Stinks if you don't have a deacon in your parish, huh? Yeah. That's what we're I would say it
3: it needs to be a lay Eucharistic minister at least, someone who has been taught and trained about what they're doing. Yeah. If you don't have a deacon, but it is the responsibility, like that is the job of
1: a deacon, like go read the ordinal. Where where I grew up, deacons may or may not do what they're supposed to do.
2: Wait where, where you grew up, deacons weren't ordained clergy, so it's not important right now, Caleb. Uh, no, I think that that's entirely the point. <laughs>
1: that's the entire the point. <laughs> yeah. So, Mike, to to your question specifically about the consecration piece and things like that, this is where you are going to get a bigger breakdown um, amongst those of high church and low church. Right. Persuasion. Right. So if you, the, this is probably the biggest break between the two. Is what, what constitutes the Lord's Supper. It's like the... Do you have that meme available, Caleb? The uh, the alignment chart for co- uh, communion? No. I
2: don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, you don't? Oh, gentlemen. Dan, you've seen this, right? I'm sure I have. I've probably seen it, but I don't know what you're talking about. All right.
1: It's, uh, Can I Consecrate This for Communion? A Guide to Getting Kicked Out of Seminary.
2: Oh, my gosh. I've I've not seen it, but I need to send the link
4: bread and wine
2: so here here though once i
4: did communion with a carrot because they didn't have gluten free bread available <laughs> No, no, I mean,
2: okay, speaking of gluten-free bread, a couple weeks ago, they ran out of regular bread, like in the little tray, and there was only like three of us left, so I got the gluten-free communion, and that bread was so much higher quality, I was like upset by the regular bread that I have every week, I was like, man, that gluten-free communion was so much better,
3: so. You know it's made with potatoes, right? Yeah, yeah. At least the can that we use. So yeah, it's, it's it. tastes like a potato chip or something. So
2: good.
4: <laughs> it was so good for communion bread. It was. It was like. See, that's the good stuff, man. You're not supposed to have a
1: good time taking communion, Caleb.
4: Yeah, it's supposed to be the cheapest wine available. <laughs>
1: Suffer as your Lord has suffered.
2: I'm I'm looking at this, and I'm definitely an ingredient purist, um, mm. all the way. I'm def- uh, structure neutral like I could see that and structure pures, but all of the other ones absolutely not
1: oh I, I'm pure ingredient radical structural radical let's go
2: Mountain Dew and deep dish pizza absolutely not yeah I'm all for that I also really like the hard cider and corn chips you could have at least went with grape soda like if you did grape soda and pizza maybe I could you could make that argument but Mountain Dew
4: absolutely not bread and wine Uh, Although I I don't like how they use body maybe any carbohydrate. What do they mean by carbohydrate? Because technically carbohydrate is just sugar, uh, sugar structure. So Pop Rocks and Coke is also available in the radicalness.
2: Yeah, no. So I'm all for communion with Pop Rocks and Coke. I do grape I do, I do some form of a grape and bread. Does the wine have to be grape wine, or not? Sorry, that was a dumb question. Does that have to be red wine,
1: <laughs> strawberry wine? Um,
4: and I think white wine's fine. So
1: the thing is, uh, again, if you are not a, if you're not high church, you're probably going to tend lower on the scale because you don't see a con- the consecration as necessary
2: no that scale is insane nobody nobody is gonna say hard cider and corn chips for communion okay nobody nobody is gonna say that
4: pub church is my I don't know
2: tomato juice and cornbread
4: no Caleb I think you
1: I think you are in a bubble <laughs> that you don't know about one two again it's the consecration piece because that's just not a thing for low church people
2: <sighs> I mean I know that it's, the consecration piece isn't
4: and low church people are
2: church people too. Yeah, they love Jesus just as much as you do, Caleb. I didn't say that they don't, but I've, I've never seen anybody argue that. I've seen people joke about Mountain Dew and Doritos, but I've never heard of somebody actually doing it. Well, challenge accepted. I can't even argue with you on that because you're here going to Lutheran churches and your unbaptized daughter takes communion. So I can't even try right. Let's talk about the gays, because we have Dan on, and... (laughs) Dan is the closest thing to Church of England that we have. Dan is making a face.
3: Yes, I'm making a face.
2: Have you seen what the Church of England is wanting to do, or the bishops are? About the draft prayers? I didn't read it, because I
3: was like, why why would anybody need to read this? (laughs)
2: The, the actual prayers, did you look at them?
1: Because it's important in Anglicanism. No. No, it's not.
2: Obviously, the ACNA is not the Church of England. This is sound like a really dumb question. What is the
4: Church of England? <laughs> the Anglican Church. <laughs> and why is it not Anglican? Because I thought it was. Is the Anglican Church not from England?
2: The Church of England is Anglican. But the ACNA, the Anglican Church of North America, is not the Church uh. of England. Uh. Also, someone said the other
1: day, Caleb, it's Anglican Communion North America. No, it's the Anglican Church in North America. It is okay. I—that's I, what I thought. I was just like, someone said it, and I was like, wait, are you guys not a communion? a province in and of itself cannot be a communion
3: because they are not in communion with any other provinces
1: i i understand the concept which is why i was confused when the person said it but i was like wait a minute and i had to think about it myself
3: but why are you going
1: to but why are you going to question the anglicans as
3: opposed to the person who said it
1: caleb's like anglican light he's not even ordained yet that's true.
2: I'm not ordained. I, no, I'm I'm definitely Anglican light. That is, that is correct. I am confirmed Anglican, but I've not done anything beyond confirmation.
4: That's okay. I'm Pentecostal light. Are you even Pentecostal, though? Yeah, I do the tongue thing, so
2: I guess. Oh, okay.
4: Not going to make any jokes right now, but I need you all to know
1: there's a ton of restraint going on right now, okay? Ton of restraint. And you're welcome.
3: I mean, but Anglic- Anglicans speak in tongues. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to say speak in tongues too. So your point, I'm like, so does that make you Anglican? Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. Don't don't be saying the tongue thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what you're you're upset that Anglicans do the tongue thing? Like, is that not the right language?
3: No, I did not say that. No, I did not say that. So, it would seem that you need to be consistent with scripture. You need to be consistent with okay, what what are we doing here? It's sort of like how even even when it comes to issues of tradition as Anglicans, and I think this is where I prefer and and thank God I'm an Anglican rather than a Roman, when it comes to church tradition, um the tradition of the church cannot violate scripture. Yeah. And so as an Anglican, I would say I am engaged in the tradition of the church and embrace the tradition insofar as that tradition agrees with Scripture. Mm-hmm. If there is a break between tradition and scripture, I must default to scripture because scripture is the ultimate and primary authority. So my thing is, if the prayer book includes something that actually has, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, if the prayer book includes something that actually violates scripture, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch that then. You know, I'm, I'm not going to embrace that because I'm now working from a position of saying
2: this overrule scripture and i'm like can't do that just can't do it right i i agree and i think i think all of us agree that like you can't go against what scripture says um which is why what i think they did here is interesting mm-hmm. they've made it very clear that this is not marriage this is not holy matrimony holy matrimony is only between opposite sex partners like that's very clear here um and at the same time like the the language that this uses is always the language of friendship or devoted friendship which i think is gonna make everybody right. well not everybody but it's gonna make a lot of people mad and like is it wrong to have a is it wrong to have a devoted friendship with benefits <laughs> well the benefits are the issue and is is a prayer of a devoted friendship is blessing that is that also a, a endorsement of the benefits? If so, that's problematic.
3: And that's the thing. For some, Can it's problematic. You even say, so here's the question. Can you even say that it's being honest? Let's just leave
1: it at that. This It goes to those people who – I saw this online once – where um, what is the standard AG church planter response? to having someone who is lgbtq ask if their church is affirming let's go get
3: coffee (laughs) right but but see this isn't even let's go
1: get coffee thing this is a
3: oh yeah we're gonna say this but we're gonna do like it's not even honest
1: right so I I saw someone post and I don't remember where I saw it but they're like yeah listen if if you ask a pastor that and they say let's go get coffee they're not affirming and you just need to stay away right air about this that is attempting to appease mm-hmm. but failing to appease on either side
2: yeah like I, I think that all of these like because I've read through all of the prayers all of the things all of the b- blessings and if that's if, if these blessings accurately described what was going on in the relationship. Like I see no issue with that. It's a prayer of a prayer for a companionship. Gracious God who taught us to love through your son, that love is the fulfilling of the law. Give grace to your servants N and N that they may be companions, enjoy and comforts in the troubled times through Christ Jesus, our Lord, who reigns in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Like, I think that's a fine prayer if it's just that they're companions and not that they're friends with benefits, right? Like, that's...
3: And this the dishonesty of the whole thing, because we all, everybody knows.
2: <laughs> the prayer is fine. That's a good prayer for people who are like, you know, like we used to have Pentecostal women who would go on the mission field as life partners, and they would go and do that together. And I think that's like, we, we have that... Long tradition of that is Pentecostals, of people binding together
3: as same-sex couples,
2: but there's no sexual overtones connotation along with it they're people who are committing their lives to one another in the service of the gospel and that's a different thing than what this is right it's It's. i think it's i think it's dishonest as to what the prayers are the language doesn't reflect what's happening in this in the relationships
3: and so if you so if you cannot pray a prayer sincerely i don't care how well the prayer has been written it's not a real prayer it's a lie before god but uh,
1: but aren't there some in the uh Anglican Church who are affirming?
2: In the Church of England?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There are. But but here's the thing though. Then what you move into though is what
3: let's let's go back and let's look at scripture let's look at tradition let's look at the formularies when you look at scripture tradition and the formularies once you move to that status within your mind you are no longer conforming to the combination of those three things which are the standards of anglican theology
1: so then you have to become episcopalian is that what you're saying
2: well if you're in the u.s that's what what you do like you just we have two anglican churches what is a formulary? I don't know. Dan
1: using fam- fancy English words.
2: No, Dan. It, that's that's pretty much where I am on it. Like I think that the prayers would be fine if. If that's what they were, if that's what they were for, but that's not what they're for. I guess the
1: real question is how long until the church of England just becomes affirming?
2: Well, I would say
3: overall it is. That's why you, you have like the Anglican free church and things of that nature. Like there are groups, like you have, like you have groups that are actually.
1: So, so then let me ask this question. Are, is this prayer specifically for those who are not, is it written for those to recite who are not affirming? And those who are affirming would instead just marry the people.
2: Well, not in
3: England.
1: Yeah, different framework.
3: But yeah, so basically, to answer your question, because I did, I did hear hear what you said, Mike. Formularies are just basically like sets that are laid forth for religious ceremonies. Okay. They are the yeah, like you know the. The prayer book, the ordinal, the so all of these things prescribe like formularies oh, okay. because when you look at like a lit when you look at a liturgy, the liturgy actually contains theology.
4: Mm-hmm. I thought it was just a bunch of boring prayers that you just mm-hmm. recited. It really, and didn't is. have any feeling in it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, Dan, it was fun.
3: Uh, now, it's been great.
2: We'll have to have you on again sometime. Maybe when you're not jet lagged.
3: Always appreciate it. But yeah, no, thanks so much, you guys. And looking forward to connecting again soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the Barely Saved Podcast. Make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes, links, and show notes and merch at barelysavepodcast.com.
3: And you will delete that line.
2: I will delete which you line? You will delete that. What Matt said?
3: You, Huh? yes, you will delete that.